Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dylan. Welcome once again to Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. Today we're taking a look at that year of all years, 1992. But before we take a look at 1992, let's talk about something completely different. (laughs) Jake. <laughs> That's right, Chaz. I'd like to uh, do the very special second episode of Bob's Bula Base. Jake wanted to call it Do Dylan Jams, but Chaz spat right in his face. So instead, we describe Bob's early years in a segment called Bob's Bula Base. Quick break to tell you about today's sponsor. It's a new wine from Dylan. Called Bob's Boujolais. Now on to Bob's Boulevard. This is, of course, the segment that Charlie and I went round and round trying to name um, that deals with Bob Dylan's career in the years before Bowie showed up. So those are the years roughly 59 to 63. Now, for Bob's Boulevard, this time, um, not only are there some interesting parallels, because we're talking about the year 92, which is the 30th anniversary of Bob Dylan's first album, the eponymous, self-titled Bob Dylan album called Bob Dylan. Now, Not the free... I always, I always think that his first album was the freewheeling Bob Dylan. No, that's his, first, once, that's his first good album. Okay. But here, here's just some quick parallels about the whole thing. All right, let's go. Um, 92, he releases an album called Good As I Been To You, not good as I have been to you, like I thought, but good as I've been to you. Okay. Which is a collection of acoustic covers with just Bob, guitar, and harmonica. He went back to okay. the basics, and of course that would be the 30th anniversary of his first album, which was, as you guessed, a so collection of covers with just Bob, guitar, and harmonica. Whoa. I know. Kismet. And yet, that is not what I want to talk about, because I, oh, okay. I thought about doing some sort of double album review of these two, of these two things, and I instantly became exhausted by the obviousness of it all. <laughs> uh-huh. So I didn't want to do that. I'm tired so already. I'm I exa- exactly. Already. So I'm not even going to do that. What I'm going to do is talk about a little-known chapter in Bob Dylan's 1962 life, which I actually didn't remember, even though I've read... I don't know, four to five different biographies now, and I'm sure all of them mentioned it, but I went back. Bob Dylan um, made a European trip in 1962, his very first time being in England, and he went to London on this, uh, for this reason. It was to be, to play a small part in a BBC drama called Madhouse on Castle Street. Uh, of course. And somehow his manager... As Bob, as Bob always be doing. <laughs> He's always playing small parts in BBC dramas. Being, and being flown across the Atlantic to do it. Yes, and get this, his manager at the time, Albert Grossman, who was a huge figure in Bob's life, but who we haven't talked about at all. Yeah. Um, he somehow convinced the BBC to pay for Bob to go do that. Like round-trip airfare, hotel wow. stays, all that kind of thing. For a small part in in a drama. And Bob was unknown at this time. Like, quite unknown. So <laughs> How do they even... Why why they even want him? I don't know. It's like, all the all the biographies are like, we don't know why. I guess, <laughs> okay. I guess Grossman... Well, good, one, good one, Grossman. Grossman must have had, a, you know, a favor or two to pull in. So he did that for that reason. And I know he was trying to further Bob's career, but it wasn't like he sent him over there to, to do a concert or to sing. He was like, here, uh-huh. you should be in this small play on BBC. <laughs> so there you have it. He went and uh, instead of like truly committing himself to his small part, um, I don't even know if he did it, to be honest. I think he probably did. Anyway, he visited a number of folk clubs in Soho. Okay. Soho. In London. Now, this is kind of your territory. English folk is a very, very different thing than American folk, Absolutely. though, you know? Absolutely. 
It totally is, and there are some there are some uh, some reasons for that in my story here. So he visited some some uh, some clubs there. There's the King and Queen. There's the Roundhouse. There's Ballads and Blues. There's some other ones. Okay, even the names the of Troubadour. these clubs sound, sound like English. <laughs> those are not in you the know, King Soho. and Queen. Are... Oh, we're going down to the Ballads and Blues tonight. These are not New York. He met a folk musician, a British folk musician named Martin Carthy, among other people. Um, and the reason this is important to Bob's career is that this man, Martin Carthy, uh, sort of inadvertently helped Bob's career by singing him some very serious English folk ballads. They're very serious okay. about their folk ballads over there. They're all about, like, queens dying and stuff? <clears throat> I don't know. It's, more, it's probably more like, uh, you know, poor potato farmers or something like that. Uh, See, I'm picturing that that uh, important scene in uh, Being Lewin Davis, mm. which of course features a cameo from not actually Bob, but it's featured on a recorded song by him. Yes. In which he is uh, auditioning for a part and plays this really soulful ballad about a queen dying. Yeah. Because you've got it, just it just feels very British. Yeah, and so that's probably that's probably a connection because the Cohen brothers are good like that. They'll make oh, some, they're good like that. They'll make some obscure connection, which you get like the seventh time you watch a movie. Right, I don't know about seven yet. I probably watched it like five times. I've watched it once. I, should, I really like that. movie. I should watch it. I, again. I do movie. too. I love. Movie. I love many, if not all, the Cohen brothers movies. I love all of them except for one. Which is it? The Lady Killers. Yeah, that was not so great. It is bad. Why? It's Tommy, bad. Tommy I don't know what like happened. They were like a national hey, great treasure. Movie, great movie. Good movie. Great movie. Good. Good. Great. Good. Terrible. Good. Great. Great. Good. Yeah. Good. Great. And that's their entire career. There was that one with all the dancing in it. Um, it was Hail a latter Caesar. latter day one. Um, it was really Hail short. Caesar. Oh yeah, Hail Caesar. I mean, that was okay. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Sorry, it was just. Oh, it I mean, just came off like you were not going to cause a dance. Well, stuff. their work. I mean, their bar is really high, and I thought that that one was like good and not great. That's it's, all. Oh, it's, I suppose. Yeah, I, I'd agree that that's a good one, not a great one, but it's still good. Anywho, this is the Co- <laughs> <laughs> this is now the Cohen Brothers podcast. <laughs> this will be our next podcast: Cohen versus Cohen, in which uh, we debate which one of the Cohen Brothers is better. And Based also on the work of the Coen Brothers. And also, what are the names? They'll of their, tie every single year. What are the names of their movies, and do we like them? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a smash. <laughs> it'll, it'll be really special when we finally get to Lewis Davis, and there's a Bob Dylan connection. And so then we'll be like, great. and then we'll bring it back around, and we'll start an episode of Bowie versus Dylan right then, <laughs> right in the middle. Right. It'll just there. be like this huge long con we play on nobody that would listen to it. <laughs> It starts now. We'll finally get back to 1992, which is not actually what we're even talking about right now. We're actually talking about the December 1962. As we were saying, um, some of Bob's most famous songs from his, uh, not the album, uh, not the Freewheeling, because he had already recorded that, but his next album, which was The Times They Are Changing, which was, as yeah. we discussed, his deadly serious um, protest song album. Right. The times they are changing is influenced by a uh, by a British folk song, um, Scarborough Fair, which we know from Simon and Garfunkel. Yes. This became Girl from North Country, uh, which I already knew that, but that was oh, and Boots of Spanish Leather is the same uh, melody. Uh, Masters of War, which was his uh, very very mo- probably his most pointed protest song, came from okay. an English folk ballad, also with God on Our Side. So, thanks England for that. The last thing about good one, England. The good one, England. The well last, done. the last, last Bob's Bula base because he couldn't go over there and just be influenced by a bunch of people and come back, you know, all the better for it. He had to get in a, he had to get in some sort of fight with another folk singer named Nigel Denver. <laughs> wow. He was Scottish. Uh, Nigel. Uh, much like Joni Mitchell did many years later, just slagged all over Bob. Nobody knew who okay. Bob was. He came and he played in some of the clubs, and he was, you know, some people tried to make a big to-do about him. And so Nigel Denver was like, no, he's terrible at guitar, he can't sing. And the main... Is this uh, before or after he sold the soul of the devil, supposedly? Oh, this is after. Okay, oh, check def- it. Definitely. Bob Dylan doesn't get to go to England without selling his soul to the devil. <laughs> I mean, it Please. makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Please. He barely got she to go to North it. Dakota before that. 
so Nigel and uh, the main tension, I believe, was that the the folk singers in England were very traditional. Like, um, you know, they even thought like the ancient Appalachian music in America was like taking it a little bit too far. You know, that's that's not. <laughs> It's too new. It's too new. You know, they take yeah. too many liberties. You know, we need we need our folk music from like the 1500s, pretty much. <laughs> okay, all right. And so I'm Nigel, talking. Nigel Denver, good old Nigel, uh, was up on stage in this deadly serious kind of atmosphere at a folk wow. club, and Bob comes in drunk, and he says, and uh, I guess I guess this is what he said. He said, "What's all this f and s?" And then they were like. <laughs> And he was like, where can I get a drink? How do I get a drink around here? And um, Nigel, very politely, I'm sure, in a very British way from the stage, was like, um, could you please keep it down when you're in this uh, club, the performer performs and the audience listens. And Bob says, and I just, I want you to use this anytime you need to tell anybody off. I'm already. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. I don't effing have to keep quiet. I'm Bob Dylan. <laughs> Maybe still nobody. I know! Isn't that great? Bob was like... Maybe he, like... I got a new, I got a new idea, a new crazy conspiracy theory involving the, uh, the selling the soul of the devil. Mm-hmm. It's the famous story, of course, is that he just suddenly, inexplicably got much, much, much better at guitar. Correct. And singing and songwriting. I am going to posit that he actually traveled through time into the future where he learned how to play guitar from his future self. <laughs> from and himself. And then came back... <laughs> And was pretty full of himself and was like, I'm Bob Dylan. I, you know, I, I don't have to life. keep quiet. I'm Bob Dylan. That's right. I mean, it seems very self-explanatory that he was Bob Dylan, but he still, I think, I just imagine that he said it very, very convictingly and that nobody listened to him because he was wasted. I guess he did. Uh-huh. A, I guess he did a lot of drinking in England. Okay. So that's it. Bob, uh, Bob slagged Nigel Denver and we all know, we all know it. We all, knew, well, I knew uh, I actually like, wanted to. I actually wanted to squeeze in Bob's Bula bass because I wrote a theme for it, and I desperately wanted oh, to insert man. it in a podcast. So has the audience already heard it at this point, even though I have not? Yeah, I'm, I slipped it okay. in at the beginning, but I'll tell you what: this is a little bit of this is a little bit meta. But I'm going to slip it in right now again. Jake wanted to call it Dude Dylan Jams. But Chaz spat right in his face So instead we describe Bob's early years In a segment called Bob's Bula Bays Quick break to tell you about today's sponsor It's a new wine from Dylan It's called Bob's Boujolet Now on to Bob's Bula Bays Okay, there it went There it was, that was Probably fantastic. I didn't actually listen to it because of the way that we edited this. But whoa, you're gonna it love was your it. Best theme song ever. <laughs> Thanks, right. man. Why don't you about Dylan. hit us up with some '92 stinky Bowie? All right, into the future of '92. Now, Jake, as you know, Bowie's been on a bit of a hot streak. He has won the last four times in a row, and I think we're gonna make it five. <sighs> Let me check my notes. We're gonna do it with. Uh, Oh, crap. Tin Machine. Never mind. <laughs> oh, hey, I feel better. So, Tin Machine, as a quick reminder for those of you who have not listened to our 1989 episode. And or why, just and why would it. you? <laughs> Tin Machine was Bowie's late 80s, early 90s boy band. And mm-hmm. by boy band, I mean they were just guys. But they were. it was a hard rock kind of proto-grunge-ish. I don't know how proto it was or how grunge it was. But it was definitely hard rocking. Yeah. Uh, band that he joined in the middle of, you know, having been a very, very, very successful solo artist. One of the most successful of all time, really. 20 years, he decided to join a band and kind of become anonymous. Like, he refused to play any of his own solo compositions from previous. Correct. They wrote all new songs. Yeah. They were very much band aesthetic. They uh, split the interviews four ways. They split the paychecks four ways. Yeah. Everything. That's not a bad now idea. This, I like that. Oh, I, I, got, I mean, I like the idea of everything, but it didn't turn out real great. And by not real great, I mean pretty bad. <laughs> I mean stinky. I mean, it was still a step up from his 1987 stinker, Never Let Me Down, and the okay. subsequent tour, both of which featured Peter Frampton. But yeah. it was still not. It's still We're still pretty down, down in the muck here. Now, do you have a... Unfortunately, Tim Machine only... What's that? Do you have a Nadero Raider to share with us? 
Or is that at the end? I, I don't know how the data already even works. We've written it several times, but I still don't think I know how it works. It's All pretty right. low here. Okay. Anyway, Tim Machine only lasted from 89 to 92, yeah. unfortunately. Oh. And he pretty much took a hiatus for all of 1990. So we're really only looking at <laughs> like three years of Tim Machine. This is the third and final year of Tim Machine. And the best, I'm wagering. Well, I, I mean, I don't know what the best is. It's hard to say. So it's the end of Tim Machine, and he did begin, and we'll get to that in a second, but he began his transition back into a solo career towards the end of 92. Okay, word. So uh, they, he released their second album, Tim Machine 2, in 1991. As mm. you know, they weren't real big on creative titles no. during this period. No. But with that said, there was kind of a creative period. The, the, he, he toured, they toured, and most of the dates were in 91, through most of the end of 91. And then there were only like a few dates at the beginning of 92 on the It's My Life tour. It's My Life. Sorry. No, and they named it after the drummer's back tattoo. <laughs> what? That's right. He had a tattoo from shoulder to shoulder. He probably still does. Hunt sales wherever he is right now. I would probably listen to this podcast. Uh, it, it's tattooed. It's yep. my life. And so they named their tour after the drummer's back tattoo. Okay. Uh, That's odd. They, in 1992, released their one only live album of this period. And Jake, I have got a multiple choice question for you. Yes, I'm listening. <laughs> This live album was named, the name given to this live album is a parody of a gigantic 1991 rock album. And you have to guess which one it is out of five choices. Is the name of it Out of Rhymes? It's a parody of R.E.M.'s Out of Time. Yeah, okay. Is it Use Your Wallet as a parody of Guns N' Roses' Use Your Illusion? Yeah. Is it Never Rewind? As a parody of Nirvana's Nevermind. Okay. Is it Oy Vey Baby? As a parody of U2's Acton Baby. Or is it Eleven? As a parody of Pearl Jam's Ten. Whoa, you really worked these over, man. This is... I'm proud of you. I'm so proud what of you. One of them is true. One of them is true. <clears throat> All right, hold on a second. So, um, okay, there was the Out of, out of Rhymes. <laughs> what was the second one? Use Your Wallet. That's it. Use your wallet. That's it. That's incorrect. No! What is it? The actual winner is Oyve Baby. No, it's not. It is. And that is a... That's supposed as to be a, 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 a pun. As a period of U2 is Actung Baby. I'm astounded. So we have a back tattoo and parody, barely legible parody of Octane. Well, I use your wallet as the least legible one. And now, Jake, I will give you like a half point on this not point bearing thing at all because <laughs> they had intended to release a second live album. Yeah, that's great. Called Use Your Wallet. Oh, hey. They never did because oh. everyone hated Oi Baby and it tanked. Yeah. I, I can't imagine why, but yes, great. If it got if it gone well, that was what they were going to release another live album. All right, I do get, I do get a half point. You get a half point for that. Yeah, I don't know what to um, do with these points. I'm not getting. <laughs> I gotta throw this out here too. Acting baby, just just because this is just it sneaks in there once in a while. Has connections to two uh, perennial peripheral characters on this podcast. I know one of them. The oh, the two I'm just going to say in both is huh. Brian Eno. Yeah, that's the one I was going to say. And Daniel Lanois. I know. Are the that's producers the other of Actune Baby. Yeah. And so, Actune Baby was, uh, if I remember right, that was recorded much of the time in Berlin. Oh, I don't know that. Pretty that's sure. possible. Pretty sure. So that's a Bowie thing. I don't know much about it. I don't, I, don't have that, I don't have that album. I don't know that one. Oh, that's a great album. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, Oy Vey Baby, the album, came out in July. Uh, it was a compilation live album, so eight songs. I think all eight of them are from different shows. Although it might have been like maybe have like two of them all shows. So recorded from late '91 into '92. It is. Uh, I will get more into what I think about the album later on. Okay. Also, along with the Oyve Baby album, there's also an Oyve Baby live video. Great. <laughs> uh huh. Now the thing Oy is about Bay the Oyve Baby live video. <laughs> It's just completely different from the album. They do not share any of the same tracks whatsoever. Wow. Okay. And the video is actually just one show from Hamburg. All right. And so rather than being like eight tracks, you know, it's a full hour and a half long concert. It's just a whole show. Yeah, it's it's a lot better than the album. In that 
Yeah, I, I don't. In that we'll it's... talk more about it later. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the scale is here, but that doesn't well, sound it's not promising. Real high. No, I don't know. I, you know, Tin Machine could could Rocket Live. Okay, I, I will say that. I All will right. give them credit for that. Sure, these guys knew what they were doing. Bowie ripped out some tasty sax from time to time. Oh, he, he ripped out being, the sax? Sax being his, his forgotten, like, other instrument that he does play some saxophone. Uh, they all took off their shirts at different times. Great. I know. It was, <laughs> so did, it was powerful stuff. Did the back tattoo? They only had two albums. They basically played every song they ever recorded at all of the shows, you know, that kind of stuff. So did the back tattoo feature at all? Like, did he come out and, like, point at his back tattoo and... In the video, he is wearing nothing but boxers the entire show. Okay. <laughs> He's out there, baby. Oi, baby. He's out there. <laughs> there are hearts on his boxers. I just wanted you to know. Okay. This sounds like a great idea. I wonder <laughs> I wonder who was more out of step in 92, Bowie or Dylan? It's a, for totally different reasons. I just wonder who was more out of step. See, Bowie wasn't exactly out of step. That's the thing, like... Yeah, yeah, but I just I just listed those five giant rock albums, and while he was not up to the quality of any of those, right? <laughs> you know, like he was he was somewhere in that zone, like like musically. He was you know? trying to, but it it wasn't working, and I I, I don't know. I, I see. I hear what you're saying. And there are I don't know. To machine, <clears throat> I don't want you to think it's like just constant awful. It's not. Okay. There are glimpses of goodness in there. It's just There's glimmers. just some really bad stuff too. Glimmers Almost of all of it involving the drummer. Oh, the drummer's bad. Drummer's bad. Back tattoo, we call him. Back tattoo is his name. <laughs> that's that's BT. his legal name. Good old BT. <sighs> also, the back, the uh, drummer and the bassist are the children of comedian Soupy Sales. Just yeah, yeah, you, you mentioned that. I mentioned I, that in 1989. You did. And I forgot, and now I'm, right. I'm going to forget again. Moving forward. Yeah, so, go forward. Coming off of this last tour for Tin Machine, uh, you know, Bowie tugged forever that they were going to do another album or get together or sometime. He's talked about that quite a bit. It never happened, fortunately. Um, too, too and bad. Bowie did start moving into his solo career again. But there is a notable concert after their live there, after Tin Machine was wrapping up their tour. Okay. There's one notable concert, which we ended up talking about at some kind of length in the last episode without me realizing it's going to come up again oh. now. And that is the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. Oh yeah, you did talk. Was about in that. 1992. He died in 1991. He passed away of AIDS. Yes. Um, he was still like a pretty early, pretty big, pretty well known death of AIDS. It was Very a big much. deal. Yeah, him and Magic and so there was Johnson. this gigantic. This has got to be like one of the mother of all tribute concerts right here. Okay. It featured such acts as Bob Dylan, Metallica, Nope, Jeff Leppard, uh-huh. Guns N' Roses, Yeah. Elton John. Oh. Roger Daltrey. Yep. Robert Plant. Yep. You too. Uh-huh. All of them. And Liza Minnelli. <laughs> Liza Minnelli. Because that goes with that. <laughs> and a couple other big ones that we're saving, because, you know, David Bowie was in there, and he had some special guests with him. Uh-huh. So the biggest, best-known part is, uh, of course, Bowie had a gigantic single with uh, Queen. In 1981, in the form of Under Pressure, still one of each of their best-known songs. Correct. Um, So they performed, he performed that with the band, and the vocals were done by Annie Lennox. Right. We did talk about this And she brought the house down! Boom! Pretty awesome. She usually does. I know, but it's it's just, we talked about this last time with with, uh, Mick Jagger overshadowing Bowie. Yeah. Well, here we have uh, Annie Lennox overshadowing Bowie. Oh, yeah. Well, that's Bowie's crazy. not an easy guy to overshadow. I know. He just did it. There can only be a she handful like of performers. It out. He's like, he wasn't sure where he was at yet. He put on one of his old lime green suits from like the the Let's Dance days. I don't know. He he, he went back a step He's in like, his. I'm uh, back, baby. In his look, and uh, I don't know. He just couldn't keep up with her. She's pretty. She's pretty rocket. Well, there's got to be so only. So this show, though, he, this was not the only song he played on the the tribute concert, though. He followed it up with All the Young Dudes, a boy All composition that he gave to Mott the Hoople. Yes. All the Young Dudes. Great song. Yeah, it's a great Carry song. the news. It's not actually a Bowie song. He, I mean, he wrote it and helped them. I think he produced it and stuff, too. Yeah. But he gave it to the band Mott the Hoople. Right. So it was sung by Ian Hunter, the lead singer of Mott the Hoople. Nice. And Bowie did sax and vocals. <laughs> yes. So much sax. And Jake... <laughs> It's the year of the sax. There was a special guest guitarist. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Who at this point clearly deserves his own theme song. Yeah. I think you can guess who it is. 
uh, uh, Charlie Sexton. Charlie Sexton? Come um, on, man. Hold on just a second. I know some other guitarist names. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Shake, uh, these are all adjacent. I, I feel like you're, I'm close. You're insulting feel, us all. I feel like I'm close. Uh, Rano. 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 Mr. Mick Ronson. In this is the point where they were like kind of you know like getting back together and knowing each other again. Uh, unfortunately, Mick Ronson would die the following. I was year. just gonna say, was so he in was, good? Was he in good health? Oh, shoot. Was he ripping out? Some I don't, I don't know much about his. De- I mean, he was ripping out tasty looks. There's no worry there. Great. You don't even have to ask, Jake. Well, I just want to make sure. On his deathbed, I'm going to assume his guitar was in his hand. He was like, Lord, I'm coming. I don't know much about his death. I think he died in 93. Yeah, that's what you said. I think so. You know, we better investigate this. That was pretty sweet. And followed up, of course, with uh, Heroes. Which Bowie played at apparently every tribute concert I was gonna he was say, ever involved in. That's ever. his. That's his like song. That's his song song. Oh, this is like it became his song song. Yeah, you know? I know of it's all his number songs, one. I feel that like. one's like one of the songiest. You know, it was a. So- it's like it's it just such an anthem. It was the. It was an instant one. anthem. It was like Mick Ronson to the rest of the mix. Was <laughs> heroes to the rest of Bowie's catalog. <laughs> Towering above uh, the I rest. Thought we was, I thought we established that Mick Jagger was Mick number one. No, Mick not Ross on this podcast. Number two. <laughs> not on this podcast. Mick Ross is number one, Mick in our hearts. No, but on this, I mean, in this space, he's number one. He's I the heroes. Mick the DVD award for number one, Mick. Absolutely. With a bullet. Sorry, Mick Jagger. Who cares about Mick so, Jagger? So, he followed up with heroes, and then, in a kind of strange move, immediately after uh, singing and performing heroes... He, he kind of threw out, you know, he was talking about, like, how we got to beat this awful disease. Yeah. And throws out a line to his friend Craig. Craig. Who apparently was, had, was dying of uh, complications due to AIDS. Sorry, Craig. And Bowie drops to one knee and recites the Lord's Prayer. What? The whole thing? The whole thing. <laughs> like, Our Father Who Art in Heaven? Yes, absolutely. Really? And it was kind of bizarre, because Bowie was not a Christian. And no. Craig apparently was not a Christian. And Bowie was pretty roundly criticized by a lot of people, but he just, I don't know, he said, like, he just, it was not planned. He just kind of did it. Wow. And, and it just kind of happened. He felt, I the, that. he felt the spirit within him. I guess. I don't know. Wow. But that was that's a notable, a notable incident in 1992, which is people kind of were, were baffled by like, that. Hey, movie. hey, what's going on, Bowie? Hey, Bowie, what's up? Hey, Bowie, what was that all about? <laughs> so that is the end of Bowie's. Uh, like live career stuff or live stuff for okay. the year. He didn't. He didn't. That was in April. That was his last show for the year. All right. Um, I mentioned he was transitioning back into his solo career. This is epitomized by one single. He released only one single in 1992. Wow, shocking! It's called "Real Cool World." <laughs> nice. That's cool. I really like it that. It is a movie theme song for that beloved movie that you probably don't remember. Real Cool World? Cool World. Hey, I do kind of remember that movie. I used to work in a video store. I know I have, oh, that's what you did. I have a weird relationship cool with Cool World, as far as I can tell, I've not seen the movie. As far as I can tell, Cool World is like R-rated Roger Rabbit. Yes. It's got... It's, it's like got, a mixture of people and cartoons. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, like, the woman's really sexy. Yeah. Well, I'm Jessica just, Rabbit was really sexy. Let's not forget or something I don't know I don't know I watched the trailer this is what I'm getting out of the trailer Real no Cool World watching the movie. so Bowie did the theme song Real Cool World yeah it was released in six different versions of remixes <laughs> oh my gosh and I listened to all of them for this podcast because I care Jake I can tell you and care. I made my wife listen to all of them I didn't make her I just happened to be sitting next to her and she didn't get up and leave so oh. it's really her own it's her own fault for, for listening to all six that's of them. shocking Actually, it was after I had been listening to Tin Machine, which she asked me to, asked me to turn off. So I put on <laughs> Real Cool World instead, and she she was okay with that. She let that one fly. Great. <laughs> and uh, and right around that time, then Bowie starts recording his another one of his comeback albums, his second comeback album, and one of his I don't know one of his bigger ones, Black Tie White Noise, which would come on in 1993. Yeah. All right, getting through here because I'm I'm going. Yeah, a push long, it, push it. Is we got two movie appearances this year? Of course we do. The first one is Bowie's, I think it's his final lead role. He did not, he wasn't, you know, as many movies as he was in, he was not in a lead role very often. He was more often in secondary roles. Yeah. But this is a full-on lead role in that beloved 1992 classic, 
the Linguini incident. I totally don't know what that is. It's a mediocre romantic screwball comedy <laughs> okay. that I watched. Who is he playing opposite of? Roseanne Arquette. Roseanne Arquette. Okay. That's one of those names that sounds really familiar, and yeah. I can't picture like anything else she was in. I even Me looked at her and went, oh yeah, Roseanne Arquette. Can't Me think neither. of anything else she's in. And you know I, what I, I think she's in? If I'd done better research, I would have looked it up, but I didn't. So, I think, I think she's in I think she's in Pulp Fiction. That's the, that's uh, that's what I think. She's Bunny. Who's she in Pulp? What's that? I think she's Honey Bunny. I think she's Bunny, the... Oh. No, that's that. not right. I don't think that's right. Might be right. I don't know. All right. Well, you know, we'll look it up sometime. I'm, I'll interrupt you in the middle of talking about Bob to, to just let you know what Rosanna could has been in. Cool, It'll baby. It'll be really annoying. It'll be great. I can't wait. Anyway, the, the uh, theme, the, the whole plot line of the movie, it's it takes place mostly in like a really fancy, expensive restaurant. Bowie, being British, is trying to get a green card. So he's trying to get you know any of the waitresses around him to marry him. Deaf. Like really quickly. Rosanna Arquette is an Let's aspiring escape artist. <laughs> like Houdini? Like Houdini. Oh, she loves Houdini. She's obsessed with Houdini. Great. And uh, then she's trying to get money to buy Houdini's wife's wedding ring. Okay. And so they end up deciding to, uh, to, to rob the restaurant later on. Anyway, so Bowie wants to get married, and Rosanna Arquette wants to be an escape artist. And this paves the way for the tagline for the movie. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. <clears throat> he wants to be tied down. <laughs> she wants to be tied up. It's not what you think. <laughs> oh, no, really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, I that's say, that's yeah, bizarre. Bowie was in a wide variety of movies. Yeah, like he really did ran the gamut. Yeah, uh, this is the only romantic comedy I can think of that he was in. But this is a full blown like screwball, screwball. You know, yeah. Goofy kids wow. accidentally falling in love. Um, Bowie is clearly too old for the role. Clearly. Men get to do that. I, I guess. I don't know. I guess Handsome he's like... Man. I saw on some interview with him talking about... They asked him, no, oh, why are you in this movie? I guess like Al Roker or something. Some weird... <laughs> nice. I forget who it was. So, but, well, I just, I just saw the script. I just I just had to be in it. I just, it's just such a great <laughs> script. I was thinking, is it? Is no, it's Bowie? not. No, it's it, not. Is it? It's not an awful movie. It's a mediocre movie. Okay. So, one last important, important thought on the Lungini incident. Yeah. It was re-released in 2000. This was really, like, a very forgotten movie. I couldn't yeah, even find it, I, too. Like, I was going to rent it online, and nobody has it. Like, I, didn't, I don't know. I nobody didn't, has it available for rental. I didn't see that Fortunately, I found either. it with uh, German subtitles on YouTube, and I watched it that way. Sweet. Uh, it was re-released in 2000 under the name Shagorama. No, it wasn't. It was. Why? I don't know. I'm going to assume that it was part of Austin Powers' mania. Well, yeah. Like, that's the because first thing I thought Because that doesn't make any of. sense. It wasn't set in the 60s. There was, like, one super, super tame sex scene. Uh, I really don't know where they thought they are giving this, this name from. I have no clue. No clue whatsoever. I feel dirty. <laughs> oh, you should. You should. <laughs> I think the Linguini incident is a much better title. It's an interesting title. It's just like a, it's a throwaway line at one point in the movie, but I kind of I, I kind of liked it. I'm yeah, sure I mean it's over lunch. They're in a restaurant. I get it. It rolls it rolls off the tongue nicely. It does. Like, it like makes a, you think. All right, Bowie's other movie for the year is just a cameo role, and quickly mention in yeah. the Twin Peaks movie Firewalks. Oh right, yes, I knew that. I have never actually watched. This is one of those shows I've been like intending to watch forever for it's years. Weird. Like, um, no, this, you know, Twin Peaks. Like, I, I just I, I like David Lynch and. It's yeah. supposed to be so great, and I want to watch it. It really sounds like something to be right up my alley, but I've never gotten around to it. No. So the movie, this is already after the two seasons of the show had already come out. The movie is a prequel to right. the show. Right. Bowie shows up. He has a two-minute cameo as one of the most, apparently, most fascinating and intriguing and just you know unknown characters. Philip Jeffries, who is a, a, uh, an agent. He's Texas. He's Texan. So Bowie speaks in a not great Southern accent. <laughs> That's fine. In a Lynch He movie, just stumbles, comes in out of nowhere. The people around him are like, where were you, Jeffries? We haven't seen you in two years. He doesn't seem to know what's going on. Okay. He gives like some weird cryptic clues about something happened with something. And then he inexplicably disappears again. And that's it. He's on stage, he's on screen for about two minutes. That's it. Apparently now, they, uh, Tim Twin Peaks just had a revival with the new season last year. Right. Which obviously I haven't watched again also. Clearly. And so Philip Jeffries appears again without new Bowie involvement. They do use like some unused footage from the movie, 
and they have somebody else do his voice. But he appears as this, like, weird Whoa. tea kettle thing and light. I don't know what's going on. Crazy. I found the clip online. Anyway. Okay. So his character, his character <laughs> ends up, like, more important again in this series from last year. Yeah. But I don't know what's going on because I haven't seen it. So we that. can assume that he would have been in the revival if he were around for it. I think they're going to ask him anyway. I don't know if he would have done that, but you know, he hasn't done any Well, if he was so work, sick, I guess. Yeah. Okay. He, he, I think his last movie ever was 2008 or 2009. It was, he hadn't done any of that at the end. All right, two last things before what? I hand things over to you. It's important stuff, but it's yeah, small. It's very important. Jake, number one. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you? is there love in your heart, Jake? Rano? Because if there is. <laughs> is there Rano in my heart? Yes. No, no, oh. true love, Jake. You've been married, what, 14 years now? Uh, is that right? Yep. Yes. Good call. 14. Then you, you have love in your heart. Yeah, Iman. and you have room you, in your time. You have, you have time to talk about the fact that Bowie got married in 1982. <laughs> oh, like this bears mentioning. Just a quick mention. We don't tend to get into a lot of the personal lives of our guys. Well, you don't. But uh, this bears mentioning. <laughs> so you married. This is a second marriage to Iman, yes. the famous Somali model, actress, and entrepreneur. Uh, they were legally married in April, but it was not solemnized until June. I know they got legally married, but. Then they didn't actually have like the ceremony and everything until June. Like they, they got married at the courthouse or anything. Okay. Um, they were married until Bowie's death in 2016. Right. It seems like it was a really good marriage. Like yeah. everything you see about them, Bowie's first marriage was a train wreck. Yeah, bad. Uh, but this one, it just seemed like they really, you know, like they were just really good for each other and they just really loved each other lots. Everything you see about them is super positive. You know, like it's not one of those Hollywood marriages where you get the impression they're cheating on each other or, you know. Bad stuff happening. They're just loving each other. Love. They have one love. daughter in 2000, I think she was born. Right around there. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> also, Iman had a cameo in the, the, Linguini, the Linguini incident. Oh, did she? Classing it up. And finally, the urine hair. Oh, good. I don't know how to rate this one, because I feel like Bowie does not change his hairstyle for like, for like 1988 to... 1995 or something. It's a very long period for him without a significant hair change. Okay. He still got this kind of like, it's kind of the hair he was doing in 1986 also. But then he switched it up to something really incredibly awful in 87. Mm, kind of went back. It. Of course. It's kind of like slicked back, but not not with the heavy gel product. It's kind of like light and fluffy, but it's back it up. I don't know. It's it's a very not kind of neutral haircut. Yeah, I know so that. So I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Um, Bowie was... He wasn't doing anything really weird. With Middle his style of the road. Here. Middle of the road. Except that he was like taking his shirt off on stage, which yeah, is yeah, kind yeah. of strange to see him with no shirt off because he has no muscles or anything. No, he's like a he's bag just, of bones. He's, yeah, he's, he's now he has no, you know, yeah, he has no shape. <laughs> he's got no shape. He's just there. <laughs> he's just there. Just there. All right. Speaking of people, so who 1992. Were... Okay. Is this another one of those years? Jake? We talked about this before. Where I, I, we decided this. I don't know, you you were interested in doing 92. And I kind of went, wow, nothing happened in 92. And then I get into it, I'm like, oh, all kinds of stuff happened in 92. It's been fascinating getting into years like this that I knew almost nothing about. It's fascinating to hear you talk for 30 minutes about it. Ah, I can make it 35, wouldn't you mm, say? Kick back. Here's some more stuff about Bowie in 92. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'm going to talk more about his hair right now. Ah, uh, let us get into each strand, shall we? <laughs> each strand, each sweet, supple strand. <laughs> I want to run my fingers right through it. Uh, not now, because he's been dead for two years. All right. Whoa. Okay. Speaking of people... I'm pretty sure he was cremated. All right, go on. Speaking of people who may have been dead for two years in 1992... <laughs> Bob Dylan! Bob Dylan! <laughs> All right. The subtitle for Bob Dylan's 1992 is, quote, A melancholy figure facing an uncertain future. End quote. <laughs> Ouch. <clears throat> Bob was having a rough time, personally, in 1992, and he had been having a rough time professionally since, I don't know, 83, 84 maybe? 84, I would say. Um, so right off the bat, I'm going to give it a nader rater of about a 1.0. Zero, okay. zero being the worst you can be. He's It's as close to oh, rock it's bottom. Down there. It's way down there. And um, that's notwithstanding the fact that... And this is interesting, because... In 1989, he was way down there as well, and he ended up releasing, you know, a very good album. And I'm not saying that his album in 1992 is very good, but it's at least refreshing, and it's at least not okay. a slog right. of awful 80s pap like um, the rest of his albums had been. 
up, up to this <laughs> we're point. Out of, we're out of the 80s, so it's in the awful 90s path now. It's the awful early 90s. And um, so what he did, well, here, I'll just, I'll get all the bad stuff out of the way. So he, he, right, let's do it. he had a tour, um, of course, part of the never-ending tour. It had, you know, started four years earlier. Um, but this one was all bad news. He's an alcoholic. He's grumpy. Yeah. He's remote. He never said anything to anyone until he was mad at them on stage. So, in, including his band. So he he favored on this. He wanted to go to smaller theaters to play for smaller audiences, which you know, which be, is good because less people wanted to see him. Yeah, it befit his audience at the time, who apparently were still like rabid. Like he had some, he had like well, the never the never any tour had started by now, right? Yes, four years prior. So he had some crazy fans, you know, enough of them anywhere, anyway, that were following him around or in various towns. Um, But he was going to smaller towns, and he wanted to stay in cheap motels. And so he made everyone, his whole band and everything, stay in these cheap, out-of-the-way motels that were like 20, 30 minutes away from the the theaters and stuff like that where they were playing. And he had his own room, and he didn't talk to them. And the only time that he really addressed them at all during the entire tour, or so it's been said, is when they would screw up on stage and they weren't able to follow his, you know, his languishing uh, songs that he wasn't uh-huh. singing in the right way. So he would get all mad at them and give them glares and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, what did we, what did we do? <laughs> we don't know. So he played 102 concerts that year. <laughs> Of course he did. Uh, Including the October 16th, 1992 30th anniversary concert thrown by Columbia Records that took place at Madison Square Garden. Well, that little out of the way. That little out of the way, cheap motel ridden. Cheap motel. Hellhole that is Madison Square Garden. Uh, Uh, So this came out on record um, as an album in 1993. Okay. Uh, so we won't give it points or anything like that. But, um, you know, this is an interesting concert because it has a patina, these days at least, you know, some 25 years later, as having been some sort of, like, kind of a classic get-together. It had, like, all the all the big acts in 70s and 80s and even some 90s. Like, Pearl Jam was there. Okay, or, yeah, or, yeah. You know, or at least Eddie Vedder No, was. Bowie, there's so many opportunities for these two I know, he could have been there. It. He could have sang why song for Dylan, Bob Dylan. Why wasn't Dylan at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert? Why wasn't Bowie I don't at the Madison Square Garden concert? I don't know. It's I mean, bizarre. Two opportunities. They could have done it. Both of them. Both of them. Why not? Yeah. You know? I'm sure they Come both on. had connections on, to those things. Um, but apparently Bob was just, like, not into it. He, he's, he was shy. He was probably drunk or on other kinds of drugs. He just kind of got through it and left. You know, he, like, left out the back door. He didn't want the attention. Um, he had won a Lifetime Achievement Grammy Award the year prior. <laughs> well, I mean, haven't we all? <laughs> we all have a Grammy. We've established that. I've been nominated a couple times, but I haven't won one yet, to yeah. be fair. Well, I've not been a, nominated. Not a, not a Lifetime Achievement Grammy yet, anyway. I know. Well, wait about 15 years, and then you'll, <laughs> you'll get one. You'll get one, uh-huh. don't worry. Um, and uh, his last just kind of... Oh, one more thing about his concerts in these days. This lasted for years, but apparently it was a it was a thing. Um, the way that he performed and the way that his face looked when he was performing, they called it the death mask. <laughs> he would just not emote or make facial expressions. He would just like saunter up to the microphone and start singing and look like he was dead. I guess. <laughs> so, I'm picturing like the Strokes on stage right now. Is that is that your I mean, the Storks had some sort of energy, though, right? Didn't they? I don't know. I mean, I never saw them live or anything. I only saw, like, a couple of their music videos, and yeah. they all just kind of stand there. Yeah, I think it's more it like... Kinda, it looked kind of bored and cool. It's the, for, no, you he know, didn't, 2001 or something. Take out the cool part. Bob, I don't think, okay. was looking very cool. I think he was so, he was so indifferent. He was, running, he was running from his troubles, clearly running sure. from his troubles. Aren't we all? Uh, he did end up getting divorced from his second wife that we know of, Carolyn Dennis. That we know of. Yep. Um, and this was an expensive divorce, as it was his first one, because he's worth millions of dollars. And, right. you know, oopsie, he had to split that and money by law. Hadn't mastered the prenup yet. No, no prenup, I don't think. Um, and so he he had to head out on the road and make, make that dough. He had to... He had to make that paper, pretty much, just so he could, <laughs> so he could give it to his previous wife and children. Make it rain 
didn't he? He, had to, he had to make it sadly rain on himself. <laughs> <laughs> a depressing rainstorm. Yeah, well, there's rent, there's uh, two alimony payments. <laughs> oh, Bob. You know, oh, Bob. We're so, not laughing at you, we're laughing with you. Yeah, we're laughing, we're just, we're, we're crying with you, pretty much. We're crying with you. So, all of this over, kind of... Over, over our fifth job. <laughs> we're in a cheap motel. <laughs> Separately. Yes. Separate from our band. Um, he actually turned this into kind of, a, kind of an okay impulse, though, which is to release an album in November called Good As I, good as I Bend To You. Good it's, As I Bend To You, yeah. Good As I it. Bend To You. Not as good, not good as I have. Good As I Bend To You. Um, and he said, quote, this is the music that's true for me. And that was because he stopped writing original songs, which he wasn't doing a good job of anyway. Uh-huh. He had a writer's block for years. Anything that came out was pretty much crappy. And so he's just stopped. He just stopped writing new songs or he stopped um, recording them anyway. And he went back to the well of some of the old folk music um, from his early days. So these are all old songs. Um, I think the newest one is like maybe from the forties or something like that. The nineteen okay. forties. There's like there's you know there's thirteen songs on them, and um, you've mentioned your your profession before on the podcast. I'm not sure if I have, but uh, I'm a music therapist, and one of the things that I do is I play music in hospitals for like elderly people, try to make them feel better. And so I have a kind of a vested interest in knowing a lot of the songs, early songs, folk songs, traditional songs, you know, that kind of thing. Um, because people of a certain generation that are still alive, like, certainly remember those songs. So I want to say I recognized, right away I recognized five of the 13. Okay. So, um, including the subject of the Bootleg Series Volume 62, Coming to a Store Near You... Bobby went a courtin', the old chestnut, Froggy went a courtin'. That's the thirteenth song. He closes the album with Froggy went a courtin'. Froggy went a courtin'. Froggy went a courtin'. What a t- I just, I was like, and he actually, <laughs> he actually, you're just tickled. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> I was, I was tickled for like two minutes, and then I realized that's one of those songs that has like a hundred <laughs> verses. And it's about and like, just like and just like the every last song on a Dylan album, it went on for thirteen minutes. Uh, no, it's only seven minutes. Uh, <laughs> but it's like about animals. This is the edit. This is the it's about edit. a frog that wants to marry different animals or get get together with them. <laughs> and there's no chorus, which it's I can't. A metaphor for Bob himself. <laughs> He's out there, baby. <laughs> I think Bob had given up on marrying animals. <laughs> For at least a while. Who knows? Oh. He could have been married. Like, don't don't say no to your dreams, Bob. Oh, Bob, you'll find true love one day. <laughs> Somebody to put up with you. You'll find your Iman. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, so, Good As I've Been to You charted at number 51 in the U.S., which uh, I think was lower even than uh, the last album we talked about in 1986. So, it didn't, it didn't make any kind of dent. It was number 18 in the U.K., um, but it was not a... I realize there's some distinction between having a comeback album, which, you know, by totally changing directions and not doing a full band anymore, um, you know, that could, that could have been like a comeback album, but it was more like a back to his roots album, more like a Uh back to basics kind of a thing. I think people have done this. I'm trying to think of famous. Oh yeah. It happens a lot. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen did it in 93. I mean, sometimes they're successful, but a lot of times it's, it's just kind of desperate because they're like, well, what I've been doing for the last few years isn't working. Why don't I try doing that other thing that I used to do? Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of fails. Yeah. And I think the, the knock on the album and I'll, I'll give it points later is that, you know, it's just kind of slight. It didn't have any real, like, yeah, it didn't really have a lot of gravity. Apparently all the songs were important to him. They all had personal connections to him, which is kind of interesting. Um, but it's really kind of tossed off too. like, it's just him and a guitar, and he can be a very good guitar player, despite what Joni Mitchell and Nigel Denver have to say about it. <laughs> you jerks. <laughs> you jerks, come on. I'm Bob Dylan! <laughs> I don't have to F and be quiet. I'm Bob Dylan. <laughs> uh, he actually recorded for three days in Chicago of that year with David Bromberg, who is a multi-instrumentalist who he's worked with before, with a full <laughs> band. So I expect a... Uh, never came out... So I expect a bootleg series, volume, let's see, so 
I think that'll come that out. That was not that far out there. That's episode. Now? I would want to say that that's going to be that's going to be bootleg series forty one, and then sixty two will be Bobby Wenacorton. This is all his Which versions be, of Froggy Winnicord. It'll be seven, seven albums of all different <laughs> versions of, Bobby, of, of Froggy Winnicord. Oh, I think he should just do self, seven album long version of Froggy Winnicord. He could call it a Septicate. In honor, in honor, in honor of Triple Cut, which I have not made fun of yet, in spite of the fact that you talked about a covers album. I just want you to know that, Jake. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm full of restraint and good feelings. Bob, towards, Bob towards Bob's current penchant for not writing songs. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Um, so, of course, there's controversy. And that is that he failed adequately to credit his sources. And in some... <laughs> in some uh, this is the name of his biography, right? <laughs> I failed adequately to credit my sources. <laughs> By Jacob Beck. <laughs> the Bob Dylan story. <laughs> It'll just be 800 pages of all the ways he wronged other songwriters. Uh, so he completely, in some cases, not all, uh, completely snubbed the actual writers by adding, uh, by calling the songs traditional arranged by Bob Dylan instead of saying, who, okay. instead of saying who wrote the song. And I guess no one, I don't know what the editorial process is here. Like who at I mean, Columbia when you say traditional, usually that means you don't know who, the, who wrote it. Yeah, so well, that's that's exactly what it means. Except that, like, who was somebody? Probably should have been checking, I guess. Like Columbia <laughs> Records, like, wait, I wrote that. Well, maybe he didn't remember. I don't know. He probably did though. <laughs> so I don't know if he's trying to be mean or what. Uh, he he recorded a single from the album called "Step It Up and Go." It's a real <laughs> real jaunty number. <laughs> No, it's just a traditional song, but it's like kind of a it's kind of a jumpy like um you know, fast-paced kind of a kind of a rhythmic has a rhythm thing and that as well as the album, but mostly that. Like there's there's other songs that I think would have fit in better as a single. This one's just so it just is so weightless. It has no it has no meaning or purpose really. It's just kind of like uh-huh. fun I, I think it was probably maybe a jazz song at one point, but it's just him yeah. on the guitar. Step it up and go. He just, and this is what I'm talking about when I say, like, how. I don't even want to say out of touch because I think his impulse was good. It was more that he was, com- he was completely anachronistic yeah. with what was going on in 92. Like, think of what was absolutely huge in 92. We're either, we're either grungy. Yeah. You know, or Tons were like stuff. super slick pop. Yeah. And like Bob, you know, did a cool thing, I think, but it didn't register whatsoever at all. Yeah. I, you know, I think people have done it more successfully, I guess. Uh, maybe if he had written, if he had rediscovered his songwriting powers by this point, which he had not. <laughs> but if not he yet. had and done an acoustic album with the harmonica and he had really worked out his guitar arrangements, I think that could have yeah. made a dent. But as it was, it didn't. He released another acoustic covers album, which is much better the following year, um, in 1993. So okay. um, I can't wait, actually wait to talk about that. That actually has some aesthetic and some and some gravitas. So I'm gonna oh, let no. I'm gonna let you start off with some points. Um, some points. Do some points. We're doing it. Come along. All right, Jake. Let's talk about points. Do it. So 92 for Bowie. It's just so mediocre. Yeah. Like it's not like it's just you know ear searingly bad or something. It's just so mediocre. So we'll start with the Tin Machine, or with the, I'm sorry, the It's My Life Tour. Um, I'm just not giving you any points. Most of the tour was in 91. There's only 13 dates in 92. Okay. It doesn't bear uh, It doesn't bear points at all. Oh, for those of you at home who may not be aware. <laughs> I was waiting we, for this. We have a long and complicated uh, system of point stuff. That, that involves, the big thing to know is that we allow for negative points for everything. And depending on what it is, we get more points for more important stuff. Like studio albums are worth more points than live albums. Tours are worth less than that. Different stuff like that to determine who is actually the best in whatever year. Yep. Back back to what we're doing. Here. Boom. So uh, the album "Oy Vey Baby." <laughs> I said throw that out one more time. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Have you got that? Oy Vey Baby. Uh, it's notable. It is the first album Boy released since nineteen since his nineteen sixty seven debut. Which did not chart in the UK wow. at all. It didn't chart at all? No. Whoa. 
This is why we never got use your wallet, Jake. Nader or Raider. I want use your <laughs> I want use your wallet now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we can only hope. I want to use my wallet on use my wallet. Uh, it features it's only eight tracks long. Yeah. It features incredibly long versions of two Tim Machine songs, Heavens in Here and Stateside. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stateside is one of two songs written by the drummer, Hunt Sales. Back Tattoo, we like to call Yeah, BT. Uh, those two songs are, hands down, the worst songs Tim Machine recorded. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to assume it's a right. coincidence that Bowie wrote all the other songs, and he wrote those two, and those are the worst ones, but I can't know that for sure. Who knows? Uh, Stateside is stretched out to a painful seven minutes long. Oof. Heavens in Here, which is an okay song from that first album, is stretched out to a painful 12 minutes long. <laughs> 12? Uh, nice. I'm giving it the BVD Award for oh. Worst Bowie Live Album. Wow. Worst Bowie Live Album. And again, like, Tin Machine could play. They could. Yeah. The songs are not, they, they have some good songs mixed in there, but the songs are not a huge quality and they had not a lot of material to work with because they only had two albums and insisted on playing those. They did a few covers, but nothing I found terribly interesting. There's one cover on the album. Anyway, I'm giving this puppy a negative 1.5. Wow. Almost the full neg. It's pretty low. Pretty low. Okay, Oy Vey Baby, the video, which yeah. again features none of the same songs, none That's of the same recordings, crazy. some of the same songs, none of the same recordings as the album. Okay. And features an entire concert. Yeah. It's confidently shot. You've got like, a lot of clips going back and forth. They're energized. They're playing well. Like I said, they could actually play. I actually kind of liked it. Okay. And so in honor of the fact that he did something with Tin Machine that I actually kind of liked, I gave it a full half a point. Okay. <laughs> a full half. I was, you know, I was debating between a zero and a half a point. I thought, all right, no, he, he did this. We're going to do this. Half a point. Did it. Uh, singles. Yep. It's one single, Real Cool World. And we have to mention the video. We talked about this last time, too, because this is another movie uh, movie theme. And there is a law. I think a very. I think it's on the books and everything. It's ironclad. That if you make a movie theme and then you make a music video, it has to, for no good reason, feature clips from the movie and act as a like pseudo-really bad trailer for the movie. Yep. At the same time as being a music video. Now, in 1986, we talked about this, Bowie successfully made three or four really, like, artsy, great videos with terrible clips shoehorned in for no good reason whatsoever. Yep. I'm happy to say that in 1992, with Real Cool World, he phoned it in as much as possible. <laughs> great. To the point that he's not actually in the video at all. Oh, good. Good, good, and I'm good. assuming he had nothing to do with it. No. There's a whole bunch of clips. They don't even, like, make any kind of thing. Like, on one of Bowie's videos, they have a... Uh, the copies are coming out of the copier, and they each, and then they have like a clip from the movie on them. That's the best. Like they were working, you know. One time he looks down in a different one. He looks down at manhole cover, and there's yeah. clips from the movie in the yeah. manhole cover. You know, they're doing stuff like that in some of the other ones. This one, nope, it's just clips from the movie. And then there's this guy who is obviously meant to look like Bowie, but does not is not Bowie. Whoa. You can never see his face. He's wearing a white suit, <laughs> and he's just dancing, just, <laughs> just it. dancing it up, just ripping it up twirling around, leaping. Again, obviously meant to look like Bowie, but it's not him. I can't imagine it's him. I'd be amazed if it was him. You can never see his face. He's wearing a white hat, too. Uh, the video's terrible. Okay. The song itself is not a bad song, but it's, it's really forgettable. It's like this... It's going at definitely a precursor. It's definitely leading into Bowie's next, uh, next phase of his career, which is getting into Electronica stuff. His next album is much, definitely has a club kind of house feel to it. And so this is like a light club track. It's obviously meant to be really cool. And it is kind of cool. It's just, it's very forgettable. Okay. Like Bowie didn't do a lot of stuff that's just forgettable, you know? He went big. When he was when he was doing bad stuff, he was going big, you know? Yeah. He was releasing Magic Dance, you know? Totally. He wasn't he wasn't normally doing slipping little nothings like this Step there. Step it up and go. So I'm giving it a zero. It's not, it's just so tame and negligible and forgettable. All right. Um, so that's in there. And then finally, these movies. Yep. Twin Peaks is just a cameo, so no points there. Right. And, Ling- and Linguini Incident is not a terrible film. Okay. It's a mediocre film. Yep. But he is miscast, but he does okay. I'm giving that one a zero, too. Okay. There's a lot of zeros flying around this time. It just was a mediocre year. So we have a total of 
Negative one. <laughs> Very nice. A negative year. You know what? That's Dylan's barely going to beat that. Just barely. Well, I was ready to start talking about it. I'm just <laughs> glad you said he's a decent album. I didn't want, want Bowie to win on this one. I know. But we're really, I mean, it. 92 sounds better than the 80s, but it's basically the 80s for both yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah. So Bowie's 90s didn't really start until 93. So Bob Dylan, um, as part of the never-ending tour, apparently, you know, the the 30th anniversary concert notwithstanding, uh-huh. which I haven't listened to because... You know, I'm just going to wait till it comes out in '93. But sure, I sure, was just disheartened to hear that not even Bob could, like, you know, get himself excited for a celebration of himself <laughs> with all his dear oh, friends who he never talks to anymore. Um, so, and the rest of the tour, I guess, was just bad, um, despite some rabidness of some fans. Um, so, I'm giving it a negative point five okay. for the tour. All right. I guess not. Not great. Um, okay, the album. Good as I've been to you, um, he does manage to wring some nice pathos out of some of these songs. No um, pathos, nice. Thanks. My new favorite, sweet, sweet pathos. My new favorite critical game is to leave the CD in the car and see what uh, see what my wife Brooke says about it. <laughs> she says it's much better than the than 1986's album uh, Knocked Out Loaded. So. <laughs> You know, she was much happier to have that blaring at her um, than knocked out loaded. Um, and um, it's just that there's no... I want to do an episode with just our wives talking about Bowie oh, and Dylan. we have to. We have to. It's going to be amazing. I mean, we got we got Claudia in on this episode, too, having politely asked me to stop playing Tin Machine. Yeah. At but least being was willing to listen to six remixes of Real Cool World. Yeah. Because they're just so forgettable. It was just background music. I'm not really sure what that says about her, but yes. <laughs> it says something. <laughs> it says something. Um, so this album is nice to put on, and you don't end up paying any attention to it whatsoever. Uh-huh. But it's not actively terrible. It doesn't assault your ears. Um, like in, six remixes of Real Cool World. Yeah, exactly. Just Parallels the, here. Off the, <laughs> exactly Same career like mode that. right here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's some nice guitar playing. You know, there's some songs that I perk my ears up because I know them. Um, it's just that there's no real aesthetic. There's no hook to it. There's no yeah. there's no real reason to listen. Um, you know, it it should sort of take you back to his early albums, but his early albums are, you know, fantastic and classic. And this is and this yeah. is not. But it's refreshing and it's miles better than what he had been previously doing. So I I applaud his impulse and I applaud um, his uh, releasing it. So I give it a one point zero, a plus one point right. zero. Hey, yeah, hey, there's solid, something. Solid work, Bob. There's something. And then his single, which we already talked about, Step It Up and Go. <laughs> uh, is this on the album or not? Yes, it's on the album. It is, okay. Yeah, it's All like right. the sixth or seventh song. Like, why is this the single? I have no <laughs> I have no clue. It's uh it's 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 confounding. Um so I give it a plus zero, because it's not again, it's not offensive, but yeah. I'm, sort, I'm sort of mad at them that they didn't you it's know. Like kinda, I feel they had a similar year here. It's just this like kind yeah. of mediocre just nothing year. Yeah, it's kind of a nothing year, but you know, I I, I am glad to see that I'm going to get a plus point five. All right, because despite You're Bob's pulling pl- off a victory, yeah, we did win the last four in a row. It's pretty unprecedented. Despite in the short run of our podcast, despite Bob's complete failure as a human, like his, per- <laughs> his personal life was just an absolute. Hey, can we can we just give an off the books win for Bowie for his personal life in 1982? Oh yeah, definitely. I yeah, mean, go he for married it, man. Bond, like. Yeah, way to go. You know, you're not going to, you know, good work. Good way work, too Bowie. Good, good work, not Bob. Good work, <laughs> no, Bowie. Bad work, David, Bob. Bad Bob. For finding true love Bob, in 1992. Bob threw it all away. That's a reference to an old Bob Dylan song. <laughs> he just couldn't keep it together. He has a few years couldn't left. keep it together. A few years until 1997 rolls around and everything is okay again. It's a, it's a bumpy ride. It's a bumpy ride. A few, few more years in the wilderness, Bob. Absolutely. Bob... We love you. We know it turns out okay. It's just it's dark right now. It's dark. It's dark. It's so just dark. dark. It's so dark. All right. Well, what's uh? All right, what's, well, next what's narc up, Jack we yet? have another year deep in the Davecation. Mm. It's two thousand seven. Ah, well, Bob's better by then. We think. <laughs> Bowie is disappearing before our eyes. Yeah, he's becoming the Invisible Man in two thousand seven. He's no more. He's no more. We need a Bowie. We need a Bowie base. A Bowie base. A Bowie LeBiz? A Bowie LeBiz. What way that would describe? Uh, I don't know. Because you tell every single story about his life, so I'm not sure there's much left to 
there's not much left to go over. It's true. Well, yeah. I'll uh, see what I can do in 2007. I we'll do have a, a Bowie-based game that I'm dying to play on a really, really quiet year. Okay. So I've been saving it for a rainy day. This <laughs> might be the rainy day. We'll this see. This could be, yeah. We'll see what I've got. I haven't, I haven't dug in yet. I hope it's raining that day. He's got an archival live album that year and a single, so... Yeah, we might not need it yet. Who knows? Who cares? You Who will. Cares? Who cares? <laughs> Be with us next time for 2007. Absolutely. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. And I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. And we both are madly in love with all of you. Goodbye, loved audience. <laughs>